Hey guys, welcome to You Chat Too Much podcast. This is a podcast where two international teachers, Joe and Madge, discuss various topics with the help of interesting and amazing guests each week. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to You Chat Too Much. This is our, oh geez, I've just forgotten. What is What episode is this now, Madge? Fourth. Fourth episode, fourth to fifth episode. Um, welcome back, everybody. Um, we've got a, a really cool guest today, um, and I'm really excited to, to introduce him. Um, we're going to be talking on a topic which is, is quite vast, and even before we begun recording, we went off on a few tangents and, and started talking a, a, about this topic. So I'm really looking forward to it. Madge even suggested that it might even be his favorite, um, gonna be one of his favorite podcasts. So um, listen in and enjoy. Um, Madge, how are you today? Yeah, all good, thanks, Joe. Uh, I just wanna say your sound, your voice sounds pretty sexy with that new microphone, mate. It's about time you got that. <laughs> um, got that going me and joe bought, bought the microphones together but he's kept le- leaving it in school so he's been using this little uh yeah this other one and the nice voice is back on point uh i've been good mate um I, i'd say like the difference this week compared to last week is that now i know we've been back in school for a while but in malaysia is that issue of the kids getting vaccinated and for pe they have this rule where one or two weeks after they get vaccinated they can't do exercise or vigorous activity whatever you want to define that as so we've been like vaccine, then the two weeks out, then another vaccine, and then the two weeks out. So now we're getting to that stage where I think it was last week, right at the end of last week, and and but today as well, where I taught my first lessons, like proper PE lessons, where we mm-hmm. were outside and I was sweating and I was shouting and I, and I was saying to you that like my voice has started cracking, just just can't get used to projecting my voice. I've not used it that loud for for a while, so it, it's been good to get out there again. How about you? Yeah, I think I'd, I'd echo that. There was a, there was like a buzz around our school today with a lot more kids coming back in, and it would be that same. It would be the same thing for like any type of business, and and we can talk on Glenn and his uh his connection to us as he's not a teacher, but any type of business when they get back into the office or back into school after COVID. I mean, it's been two two plus years, hasn't it? You know, uh, of of not normal. Um, so I think once things get back to normal, which I think it's moving in that direction, it, it is just like, I don't know, it's quite exciting really. So, um, yeah, I want to introduce Glenn. Glenn is, uh, actually another one of our friends who isn't a teacher, which is quite exciting. Glenn, how are good, you? Isn't it? It's getting good. Very well, very well, Madge Joe. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate no the invite. <laughs> So uh, uh, we often have have some uh, uh, chats similar to myself and Madge, uh, me and Glenn about various different topics, and I'd probably say uh, people would people would probably identify Glenn as somebody who, at a party or um, you know at a meal out or when you go around this house, you always you always get drawn into a deep conversation or just like a a big conversation um, and he's very easy to talk to. So I'm really happy to have him here. Um, first of all, I just wanted to say, um, ask you, 
um, what you do, Glenn, and, and what you do out in Malaysia. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Joe. Um, well, I'll start with a little bit of an introduction. Um, so for those who don't know me, um, I'm in my early 40s. I'm very proud to say that, early 40s. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with being in your late 40s, but early 40s. Um, I've been on the expat circuit for 12 and a half years, uh, Europe, Middle East and Asia. I've been in banking for 18 and a half years. Prior to that, I was in the travel and tourism industry and retail industry. So very different. Um, soon to be a father in five weeks. So as you as you both know, exciting times for me. And uh, yeah, that, that's really me in a nutshell. Uh, very, very, very thankful for your introduction, Joe, around uh, people talking to me <laughs> at parties. Very nice to know that that's the, the image I portray. Yeah, it's a good image. It's a good image. So basically, our topic today is is surrounded um, influential people, and uh, I think it's a good one because there's so many influential people um, around us all, and I think we've all got different views on what influential people means to us and what it actually, I don't know, define it as. So I want to start with you, Glenn, um, and put you in a hot seat to begin with. Is how would you define what an influential person is to you? Yeah, I had a little think about this uh, when you sent me the topic. So I think um, I'm going to try and keep it quite short and punchy. I think it's a person whose actions or opinions strongly influence the course of events, either to the masses or at an individual level. So that's what I would call uh, an influential person. I like it. I like it. Madge, what are your thoughts? Uh, mine's a little bit more deeper than that. <laughs> um, for me, it's a um, person who takes, uh, you know, time out for you, uh, who do, goes a little bit extra mile. And for me, the the people when I think about influential people, they're people who are guiding me through something, and um, they have had an influence on me later on in life rather than there and then. Um, and most of the time, they're doing it unintentionally. Um, and I think like. But like now growing up and being a father and being in this situation, I kind of look back and think that these people came into my life and there's a reason why I'm here is because of them. And I think that parents, family and friends are expected to have an influence, whether that's positive or negative. So it's more about those. It can still be those people, but it's about those people who put that little bit extra in um, without any like any justification or any anything back, you know. Yeah, I think that last point is quite interesting as well, is that people do it without any any expectation that they're going to get any reward or comeback from being influential to you. Um, I think mine was mine kind of centered around just being a role model. Um, and I think something when, you know, as we've been talking about this and as we've spoken about it is, you know, it, it might be people that actually uh, don't, they might not know that they're influential to you as well. Because part of part of your definition and my definition as well is like somebody who gives gives you their time, but actually they might not even recognise that they are influential towards you as well, and we, that will probably be drawn out later when we're talking a little bit more about what you know who are your influential people. Um, before we start, I think we should give a proper definition, right? So we're not a okay. schoolboy in this, right? So the, <laughs> the proper definition is, so just people can reflect on it, is that influential people move through life with purpose, conscious of their actions and how others may perceive them. 
They focus on what on ways to create the impact they wish to have and achieve the outcomes they're aiming for. They give constructive feedback and show appreciation for hard work. So it's a look that's a slightly different to some of the definitions in terms of like they're actually conscious of their actions um, and they give feedback and they they actually focus on making an impact on you. So it's interesting how we perceive them in our own definitions compared to the definition there. I guess. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and I think they're really good. All of the the, the definitions. I think when I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking more. They're more skills and habits of influential people. So you know, they they consciously, you know, if you think about it, they smile. They're genuine. They they've got good communication. They're critical thinkers. They they've got great endurance. They're active listeners. I think if you're consciously thinking about how you can influence people these are the sort of skills and attributes that you would want but i think that you can do it innately without thinking through knowing that you're an influencer or actually perhaps trying to be one so for example you're you know let's take an example as a father figure you just do it naturally you don't actually think about well you know i'm going to be a great communicator and a critical thinker and have empathy when dealing with your child like you would say in a workplace but you do more so with your child you do that just naturally it's a natural reaction isn't it so i think i think those are more like yeah just like all of the stuff that you just referred to are more like habits mm-hmm. and more like yeah just how how great influencers have attributes towards that yeah, and just to add on to that, just like a different point of view, as you were saying that, I was thinking of like now on social media, they're called influencers. Um, mm. And that actually fits that definition where they're actually conscious of their actions and they are bothered about how others perceive them. And I think that fits that uh, narrative there because I think if you're conscious of your actions and you're worried about how others perceive them, then you're not necessarily being you. So that's very different to what we've said as well, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think that's that aspect of like influential people and and whether that is obviously I assume that's where the the term initially came from as an influencer on like social media, Instagram, Facebook and so on is people care so much about how others perceive them that they put on a facade or or something different a character of of what they believe is an influential person or a motivator or a role model and actually the people that are often um seen in the public eye as like uh i don't know a little bit more uh approachable as such are people that do seem very genuine like i'm thinking of like uh, you know someone like adele like people just love her because she is just she seems just very normal so like any interview that she does or any type of interaction she has with fans, it's, it's just very normal. It's not like a, she's, you know, reading from a textbook of like how to speak to fans or how to, how to interview. But I suppose there are lots of other people that kind of everything that they put out is very scripted and is, and is then maybe, maybe not true to themselves. Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, we're moving into like types of influencers, right? So there's like mm. brand influencers, employer, boss influencers. There's, you know, celebrity but that are endorsing products. I think there's like, you know, family type stuff, father, mum. 
So I think there's various types of influences that you have in your life that kind of like impact you, right? And they're all different, I guess. So, yeah, I think it's interesting uh, how we define influential people and, and maybe how that term now is, is uh, adapted through social media. I, th- I suppose one thing that we want to try and touch on today is is who has been influential in your life. Um, and I think from that, we can then kind of dissect a little bit in terms of what aspects was it that made them influential and were they aware of it? Because I think your point earlier, Glenn, about, um, uh, you know, how people perceive them being conscious of your actions and things like that is depending on your role in life, whether that's a job or as a father or anything, you are conscious of your actions because of of maybe the position that you're in. And even as a father, you might feel that I've got to act this way. I'm a dad now, you know? So, I mean, Madge, do you want to start us off by talking a little bit about some of the influential people in your life? Yeah, I mean, when we were planning this episode, I was kind of like, the reason why I'm looking forward to it is to kind of give a shout out to these people, you know, even though I don't think any of these will listen to the podcast, but still, (laughs) it's out there, you know. And I think the whole point of doing this episode is just more for people to reflect, if they haven't, about people who who have been influential. And I think it's important to maybe say thank you to them, you know, and I think that's where I came from. Because a few years ago, I have, when I went back the last time, in the summer, I actually went back and saw some of these people that I haven't seen for years who have been influential. I just said thank you to them because I think that's just a nice thing to do without them ever realizing it or recognizing it. I thought it'd be nice for them to uh, just to, just to know. Um, I think for me, uh, my mum has been probably the most influential person. And I think that's quite, I hope that's a common answer for a lot of people, the parents. Uh, I know that situation is not the same for everyone. But the reason why my mum's different is because even though my dad was around and at home and they got divorced like when I was a lot older, but uh, my mum, like just the appreciation of basically playing both roles. Uh, my dad was at work all the time and he didn't really get involved in the family. He just kind of did the work, came home. And, and my mum kind of like brought us up in that way where she kind of played both roles, had to do so much. She was a housewife and she just worked so hard with four, uh, four of us in total and I was the oldest. She's very strict and, and religious and like um, that's the way she thought it was the best way of bringing us up. But now when I look back at it, you know, it was it was in, like she came over as an immigrant, <laughs> not, uh, not educated and uh, not working. And then she kind of saw the importance of education and just kind of did that through love, like and got me to understand. And I, th- I, I, had, I had this big drive in me. And I kind of work out, trying to work out where this drive comes from. But I think it is it's just trying to get out of the situation that I was in and kind of um, help my mum out, um, help my mum out as much as I can, you know, by making a difference right now. Um, yeah, and I just kind of bring up another person as well at the same time before I ask someone else is that my uncle, Tanya, who's my mum's youngest brother, um, um, he's been influential to me because he's kind of filled in my dad's role. Although, like I said, my dad has been in the house, but little things like he's, he's always from day one kind of come around to our house two, three times a week. And that can be annoying because he gets involved in your life and tries to give you too much advice and ask you too many questions, you know, and especially when you're in your teenage years and you just don't want anything like that. But 
little things that he did for me, you know, like uh, taking me to parents' evening or helping out, like in school stuff. He taught me how to shave, helped me buy my first car when I had my accident, car accident. He helped me get through that. And even now, not so much because I'm I'm abroad, but even now he's still kind of looking out for me. And, and um, he's been like that father role in terms of the things that kind of the skills that kind of get passed down. But he's also been that because I'm the oldest in my family that he's also been that big brother because he's only like 10 years older than me. But he's also been that big brother to me, like whenever I couldn't really tell my mum anything, I would tell him. And he's quite good at giving advice as well. Um, and he's quite uh, open-minded in that sense. So they're kind of linked together because I don't think my Uncle Tani would have had to take that role on if my dad took more of a role on in, in, in the family as well. And I know my dad didn't kind of like that as well, that he did that. But it, there was a gap there and he kind of filled it, you know. Yeah, I think that's. I think uh, you've talked about a couple of people there that have influenced you and and impacted you in like such formative years, like those as you're growing up and all those early skills. Like you, you talk about like shaving and buying your first car and parents' evening. They're all such like big times in your life, aren't they? As well, and I suppose influential people always pop up or are around during those like formative years or big moments in your life because those are the people that you want around you we're going to come back to some of yours as well because we've we've all kind of listed out like four or five people um but i want to put glenn on the spot and and talk about because prior to recording this we we had a, a voice note back and forth and glenn's voice note was about 18 minutes long about the <laughs> amount of people that is uh influenced him <laughs> And, uh, but I, I want to try and like I pin it was 18 him. minutes. <laughs> I want to try pin him down to like you know four or five people that have like really just stood out. And obviously, I don't want to put you on the spot. And I'm sure there's more out there. But what, who who maybe stood out as your first couple that you've kind of really recognised, Glenn? Yeah, I guess um, just to reference that voice note so, so people have some context I guess when you asked me it was a, it was a bit of an on-the-spot question so I think clearly there's the obvious uh, or even in obvious to, to, to Maggie's point around you know not everyone's lucky to have influential parents but I'd like to think that if you didn't even have you know great wonderful parents and there was some hardship that you might have learned lessons and they might have influenced you in another way so I'm going to go with obviously I think and I think this is a lot to do with time so I think my nan and my mum and there's two reasons for that so my nan uh, was married to an alcoholic uh, my granddad and she had four kids uh, through the war she was largely uneducated in fact she was uneducated but one of the smartest people I know but uneducated in academic terms um, and she managed to raise four kids that have all turned out very well and generationally made progress from from the, the 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 generation before uh, i think you know in terms of life lessons and i i just touched on my nan because my nan for the context of uh, the audience my nan lived on the next road to me and uh, my mum had me at 15 and my brother at 16 and a half so clearly wasn't equipped to be a mum to a large degree at that age and there's certain challenges that come with that so my nan almost raised me as a second mum uh, when my mum was at work, I'd stay at my nan's most weekends and so on. So, you know, basic things that I think that you learn from, from, from your, you know, dare I say it, your, uh, your, your family. 
I think, you know, might be respectful towards others. You know, I'm just going to, you know, these are some of the basic things that my nan, uh, manners are important, uh, be patient, you know, you're going to win some, lose some, remain honest. Uh, so that's my nan. My nan taught me some fundamental lessons and no matter how bad life is, and she did have a hard life, she always remained positive and, and followed those really basic rules. My mum, what you know, what like I think most people, I think uh, my mum helped shape me. Uh, she divorced from my dad quite young, I think 23. Uh, mm. and my, you know, so I think it's hard to raise two boys when, you know, my mum had no education at college, university, had to really graft. So it was a hard, it was a hard upbringing. And, you know, she, we did the best we could. And my dad was around until the age of 22, uh, until she was about 22, 23. So I think I was about eight when they divorced and my dad, you know, my dad, a great guy. And we'll talk about him a little bit different in a different context, but I think my mum, you know, instilled the principles, morals, ethics uh, into my life. And, you know, and uh, today, even though I'm 41 still continues <laughs> to tell me the way of the world. Uh, so I think those, those two would be the most important. So I don't know if you want to stop. I'll stop there. Yeah. I, th- I just think as well, like, and to put it into context and I, I don't want to sound on this podcast. I'm just continuously singing your praises here. But some of the things that you identified there about what your uh, mum and nan instilled in you are, are very much like your character now, like in terms of principle and, you know, really, uh, I would say like, you know, those kind of like the manners and things like that and how you treat people. Those are things that that's the reason why I think people gravitate towards you is is those really kind of, I don't know, like, things that have been ingrained in you from young and i think uh i think we're we're all privileged in that position that we've had some really positive impacts from like parents and i would i would say the same like my mum and dad you know uh i've had a massive impact in just in me growing up and instilling those values i think i'm the the three people i've got three people that i'm gonna kind of bunch together and these were three um, three teachers. And and earlier when you said, when you talked about your definition, Madge, about like they're conscious of their actions. I think as teachers we are conscious of our actions because we're in a position of power. And I think if you're not conscious of your actions, then you're not like a you're not like uh, being a good teacher because there's a lot of like we talk about you know teacher education terms that we talk about the hidden curriculum. And it's all the stuff that like outside of the textbook, it's like how you walk into a room, how you greet people. Like, um, do you put your plate away once you've been at the canteen or, and like Mm. how you interact with kids in class and and with sport. And the three people that I wanted to talk about was uh, Mr. Boyce, uh, Levy Utku and Rob Connolly. And I'm, <laughs> I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed to not know Mr. Boyce's first name because he was my elementary or primary uh, PE teacher, and he was like the husband of our head teacher. To put into context, my primary school was so rural, um, out in the middle of nowhere, that we had like maybe three year groups in one classroom. It was maybe like 50 kids in the whole school, if that. So it was very, very family like you know country bumpkin type school but was it was it one of those situations where the PE teacher was a fireman and the policeman at the same time <laughs> close to it I mean he was he was the husband he, uh, of the head teacher 
he had like sporting background and you know but he was I think why I put these these three in is they're all very very different but you know they they what I perceived is they gave me time they influenced me in a positive way in terms of like how to be a good person uh, they inspired me to like play sports and and through sport I feel like you know I developed as a person um, they kind of kept me grounded as well sometimes like I remember those times when and Madge you'll agree with this and maybe Glenn you've had in instances of this of when you're like a, a, a fairly decent sports person in school obviously the PE teachers are like you know they might pick you first or you might kind of oh, can you go and sort this? And you kind of like that kind of teacher's pet a little bit. But I always remember that time when like, you know, with each of those people, they kind of bring you down a peg or two to make sure like, you know, we're not friends. You know, mm. we're, you know, you're very much a, a student and they bring you down. And, and even just that makes you think like, oh, okay, like I understand. And, and they're conscious again of like their actions and what they're doing. I mean, for me, like Rob Connolly was, you know, one of the best teachers I've ever had. And from an academic educational point of view, he was quality. Um, and when he came to my school, I was like old, I was at like year 11, year 12. And he just completely changed my view of like how PE could be taught. Levy was like a little bit more old school. You know, he was like football, basketball, and he would do lessons like roll the ball out where he inspired me was like he was my basketball coach so from year seven he saw that I had some interest in basketball and he just gave me loads of opportunities would invite me to like the older boys training would invite me on trips and me and a few others just just loved loved that fact that he just like reached out to us and I just think that you know it doesn't matter kind of who they are in terms of they've just had that impact and in I don't know, just inspired you, haven't they? So yeah, those are alongside my mum and dad for the same reasons I think that you guys have mentioned your parents or, or family members. You know, those are three quite formative people in my life across actually, you know, uh, primary school, kind of middle school and then upper high school and then going into, into university. And I, I still speak to, uh, to Rob Connolly now um, whenever I kind of go back, I make an effort to speak to him, um, and you know, still in touch with, well, still in touch with uh, Levy's son and, and and so on. So yeah, uh, yeah. I'm going to come back to what you talked about there, but I want to say something that kind of Glenn said before, and then also maybe you can help out here as well. So this is like more from me being a father, right? So I think generally there's that term of being a mummy's boy, and I'd admit I'm definitely more of a mummy boy, yeah. Uh, than, than a father's boy but I think also being a father now with my two daughters and consciously just kind of trying to be present in their life and trying to be as equal as I can in the way I bring them up I think something that I've noticed is you're never going to get that so I'm, I'm this I'm asking you Joe because I, I know me and Glenn have kind of said our mom and I know he mentioned his nan but you know, one of the things that you, you notice, like just maternally, that, that there's that connection that they have as kids. And there's just sometimes that you're just not going to get that. So like even at nights when she's scared, she'll want her mum. When when she wants feeding, she drinks better with her mum. I'm talking about my youngest daughter. Mm. Um, you know, there's just little things where mums are just, just I don't know if they don't want to kind of stereotype, but they're built in a certain way where they're just more caring and 
just you know just that's those softer skills and i think as a father there's there's uh, uh, right at the start i was kind of like right i want to make sure i'm equal i want to kind of make sure that i'm doing my bit as well and doing that side but sometimes you just got to concede the fact that you know uh, they just have that connection or mothers are meant to be that way that there is that comfort and i think that's the kind of way i saw my mum i mean even though i had my dad who was really really hard but and i think the way uh, glenn describes his mum and his nan is very similar as well it's just that there's there's this there's that side of it that you just like I conceded to it and, I'm, and it doesn't bother me as well. Some people might say, oh, you might get jealous or you, you're trying to fight it. You, you, want your, you want your influence more. But you know what? It's just kind of like as long as they're happy and there's, there's always going to be that connection there um, uh, for mm-hmm. them. I wanted to that kind of just go on to your points about um, your teachers because this is something that I've always struggled with. Um, Obviously, I'm a teacher, and whenever people say, "Oh, what inspired you to become a teacher?" I find that answer, uh, that question, quite difficult because I don't really have a favorite. Usually, when you ask someone, it's like a favorite teacher, like what kind of you're you're saying. It's like people, there's always that favorite teacher who just kind of inspired you, and there was a particular reason for it. But actually, the next three people I'm going to mention, um, I think they inspired me to be teachers, but they weren't the traditional teacher. So, I've got someone called Sheila York. And Sheila, I'm I'm not 100% sure if she's still with us, but uh, Sheila was 76 and when I was 16. So at that time, this is the first time I played 11-a-side football and I've just, I'm in, my, in year 11, coming out of year 11. And like I said to you, my area is like a very Asian-dominated area. It's very low class, you know, uh, not much going on for it. What Sheila did was she got some funding from Sheffield Wednesday and she created this football club and it was mainly to get us off the street sort of thing. Although I wasn't on the street, but it was mainly to get us to do something. And then she got this funding and she she was 76 years old at that time. And imagine that. And um, she got like pitches, she got us uh, referees, she got us kits, you know, all of these things that we couldn't afford. And she got us coaches that came from Sheffield Wednesday to come and coach us. And most of the time it was only me and maybe a couple of other people that came regular and what she did for me, Sheila, was that first she made me into the captain, maybe because I was the only person that turned up to training. But also <laughs> there were times where we didn't we didn't have parents coming taking us, so we would have to get the local bus, take an hour to get there to go and play football games and go back. Then I'd go to her house and put the washing in, and you know it just it was just like it was, I only did it for for a year. For a year I played football with her, and then what she did for me at sixteen was she got me onto my level one FA. FA Level 1 football uh, certificate. And I would just turn 16. And I remember a local newspaper came and did an article on us because she was the oldest coach and I was the youngest coach in the country at that particular point. And there, she did that for me. Like, obviously, she thought, oh, this would be a good opportunity for you. It was done through McDonald's. It was free. I got loads of equipment that I just gave back to the club. But what happened was when I turned 16, when the football team finished, because a lot of people went and worked, so they didn't really have the time um, to, uh, to train. And she made me into a coach. She made me manager of under 14. So imagine I was just turned about 17 years old. I coached my brother's team who was 14. And I, she then kind of helped me, like, helped me organize things and helped me organize transport and how to put in the leagues and stuff. Um, yeah, and she, she had a massive influence on me. Like when I look back at it now, I just think that she was one of those people that went out of her way 
there was nothing for her to do that. Like she's yeah, she's retired. She didn't need to go and get the funding. But the amount, the influence that she had on us um, as a community, and especially me, someone who gave me an opportunity, I thought I thought that was massive. And I actually did go and see her a few years ago, maybe like five, six years ago, and it was it must have been at least ten to twelve years since I've seen her, and she still does recognise me. But she she had like a full time nurse at home, and she kept repeating herself, and it kind of made me upset seeing her like that. But you know, mm. she's still going strong when I last saw. Her. I think I. Th- what I love about that is you've had somebody who's who's influenced you so much and I and I reckon that she hasn't really like been aware of that. She's probably one of those types of people who just used to like look at things and go, I wanna try and improve things and she's just done it. And there and like you said earlier, imagine your definition is like she did not need you know, she didn't need any type of comeback or any type of like she didn't want you to come and say, oh, here's this or that, or she wasn't going to win money for it. Um, and, and it's inspired you then to potentially become a coach or become a teacher and so on, which is, which is really interesting. Is, is um, for you, Glenn, is there somebody that kind of influenced you in that kind of later part of, uh, later part of the, your life which has impacted you in terms of going into your career or, you know, a kind of course or university? Is there that one person or is there like a couple of people? Um, yeah, so I was, I was thinking about like, because like your nan and mum are forever presence, right? And they continue to influence you. And I was thinking about stages in my life, like, you know, let's call it the teenage years uh, as you move into kind of like your education and through into college. So actually very similar to mad i didn't really finish school to be honest my school was uh, i went to three schools uh, both of which were you know very run down you know, metal detectors <laughs> to go into school a lot of knife crime <laughs> you know sadly some a lot of uh, drug abuse so it wasn't really a great place school um so i'm not going to say that there was lots of teachers around me. I mean, the teachers did the best they could, I guess, but it was quite a hard environment because the kids were just misbehaving constantly. So they really couldn't give their energy or you know, any of their focus to, to particular kids. But um, I think in terms of like education overall, I think there's like probably three or four. So I'll just give them a shout out. Uh, the first one is Ninja who's a guy that I worked with at Sainsbury's at the age of 16 and 17. So he taught me about university, uh, college, because that really wasn't on the radar for someone like me. Uh, and, you know, he came from quite a hard upbringing as well. So him, he, he, uh, he was a Nigerian guy, really good customer service type uh, person. Um, another teacher called Mr. Ramsey, if we're talking about teachers. So he wasn't a good teacher. He was a supply teacher. And because most of the teachers were off sick a lot of the time because of the school and just kind of the environment, he got a lot of abuse. Um, but he was quite hard. He didn't he didn't really teach us any work, almost like academic type stuff, but he used to put us in place and say, if you don't get your act together, you're going to be a bum. You will be signing on. And he was quite hard and direct. And I don't know whether that, that taught me anything valuable, but I think what he did do is he landed a few messages to me around, you know, you need to actually 
change the way you were behaving what you were doing you know you need to kind of think about like long-term type stuff and then i think um the last person is a guy that won't even remember me i'm sure he's named phil i was a, a ma- i was a manager at the time in sainsbury's that most people will know and um he'd just finished his degree from cardiff university i think it was cardiff university and he, he was coming in and he was on the management you know graduate program and i was teaching him his job and that's when i realized that um he said to me why don't you go to university and i said oh, i don't know how what do you need to do don't you need to be smart and he kind of just like from working with him and although he was a really great guy i realized quite quickly that i could go to university and i could go on and do other things so i think like all of these people were just more people that i met throughout the journey that, that didn't really teach teach many think too much but they did kind of open like ideas and put ideas in my mind and influence me to go off and kind of get my education and and that's what I did I enrolled uh, into college that the one ninja went to and bizarrely I even went to the same university as ninja and I did the same course nothing to do with because I wanted to do management and marketing uh, nothing to do with the college being great just because that was the guidance that he gave me so I went to the same college and university as him which is just when people say, why did you do management and marketing? Why did you go to Lincoln University? That is a ridiculous answer because I worked with someone for six months. <laughs> but that's yeah. the truth. Maybe you realize, it? Yeah, I think as well, like with a lot of these influential people, you know, uh, I've identified people that have kind of been around my life for, you know, uh, you know, quite a lot of years. And we've all identified like parents who are always there, but it can be just working with somebody you know, for even a matter of weeks or, you know, I worked a part-time job at a clothes shop and a lot of those guys in there and, and Phil being one of them, like just inspired me. And, and obviously I had a few years there on and off, but even just people that had one-off conversations with and stuff, it, they, they influence you. Um, and they, again, they might not be aware of it, but just them as an individual um, influenced me to like change my view on it or change my decision or, or whatever else or just the way I kind of look at things um, and I think that's a real positive Madge you've got a couple more that you wanted to talk about as well yeah I mean it kind of linked to my previous one about Sheila um, another person was Simon Thacker he's a he was a plumber and um, he he basically got me into cricket so I, I had been playing cricket for years by myself in the backyard and in the playgrounds and stuff um, and I just randomly turned, well, my cousin was playing for a game and he just told me to turn up and he first thought, Simon, who was running the under-13s at the time, was like, what are you doing here? You can't play, you can't just turn up. And then luckily what happened was uh, someone didn't turn up and so then I played and I just got in from there and basically from under-13s to 15 to 17, he was like the, uh, I would say, not he's not a coach, he never coached me anything, but he was the one who ran the team and then basically... He made me captain on all three levels and as I got older he would he would then just give me the ownership and let me run the team and he would just but basically the thing that that I there was just like like phases again uh he would always pick me up he would always pick me up from my house so he lived lived like five minute ten minute drive I would either get the bus to his or the meeting point and he'd pick me up and drop me off and this was during the week um or he'd come and pick me up and then take me from there um and what eventually happened uh, is kind of nice is that um, 
he had he had his friend as well, Phil Phil Streeter as well, who'd came. He also used to, and then his brother as well used to come. Simon's brother, John. So those three guys did very similar thing. Like we, our parents really get involved. They just kind of. So those three guys off their own bike as volunteers, just passion of the game, doing it for the club. They took us around around Sheffield to go and play cricket, and then used to drop us off. And this was like during the week. And what was nice was uh, I think at the age of fourteen, I started playing for the men's team, and he was playing as well. So we played together. Um, and and as I was playing in the men's team, I was getting better. And obviously, I played up to under 18 for him, um, which was nice. And then obviously, then yeah, that that was just nice that the fact that we could play. He was a wicket keeper, and I was a baller, and we could play together. And it's just that the fact that he did that was was amazing. You know, like that's just something that's just very done on an unconscious level. He's done that as passion. He's done that for the club. He's done that maybe because he just wants to give back to the community. But the power that's had. Uh, especially on me. Uh, and I think he's kind of shaped me as a leader as well in the sense that he kind of trusted me. He didn't really tell me to do anything. He, he, he basically, maybe when I was younger, he did. But when I got to 15 and 18 level, um, he basically said, you do everything. You know, I've got trust in you and, and he'll pick the squad and stuff like that. And and I think um, for, what was nice was I saw him the last time I was in the UK. So uh, two years ago, last two summers. And he didn't recognize me. <laughs> it's been years since I've seen him. So it's been about 10 years since I left the UK and I've probably not seen him for about 12, 15 years. I walked up to him and he just looked at me and didn't have a clue who he was. And as soon as I started talking to him, I like embraced him, gave him a massive hug. And I, I, I actually played one game of cricket because I was just, they were short, that same team. And he, he turned up and he still comes around to have a look and stuff. And I gave him a massive hug. got really emotional as well. And I actually said, you know, thank you, Simon, for everything that you did and stuff like that. He was like, oh, no bother, no bother. But he just doesn't, understand how much impact I had um yeah so that's massive and another per, another two people who who like I would run together is someone called Mick and Tricks so they run the the Sheffield Thai boxing gym wicker camp and again I started there when I was 13 and Tricks who's the wife of Mick uh Tricks at the time was a world champion she was a fighter and Mick was a coach, like in the 70s, 80s, he's one of the first guys in the UK to do Thai boxing. And he used to go to Thailand to fight. And so when I was a junior, like, obviously, I, I've been doing Thai boxing for years, but for three, four years, Tricks was the one that taught me. And then when I got to like 14, 15, I was just too big for juniors. So Mick was like, you need to come to the adult classes and I'll get my head kicked in. You know, you're not you're supposed to do head contact to the 18 or something. But no one knew that I looked like 18, even though I was 14, 15. So... Tricks was special for me then. And then what happened, then Mick kind of took over at the age of 16 and then taught me. And I basically got to a level where I was an instructor. Um, but just to go back to Tricks is that Tricks was also my college tutor. So she just finished a PGCE while training, while doing all the training. And the first year she became a teacher, she was my college tutor at college. So for a couple of years, and she, I think it was good for her that she knew someone. So she kind of got me through my sports science as well. And and then, like, even with Mick, I think Mick is, um, oh, is a, Mick and Tricks, both of them are very, like, important for our community. Like, it's a, it's a very much a community-based gym. People who have had issues, whether mental health issues, drug issues, abuse issues, whatever, they open up the gym for everyone, right? And that, without that there, like, that is, like, my second home. Like, even when I go home now, I still go there. They look after me. Um, and I can't thank them enough. And and I think Mick's one of those people who's, who's been actually fighting depression for quite a few years, but you would never know. And he's one of those people, Joe, I kind of, I think I said this to you the other day, he's one of those people that kind of says little comments to you just to pick you up. 
And I was yeah. saying that the other day about being positive. And it's where I picked that up from him. He would like give examples. If he knew a person was didn't want confrontation, he would then like say it to me, but it would kind of indirectly go to him. And he would just say little things, you know, and he's walking around. Uh, he'll say little things and it might not necessarily like, to be honest like at the minute at that moment of time i thought it was all true but then as you get older you're like all right he's actually saying it for confidence and uh, and again like i just think those two together they made they made such an important gym for the community and even now uh during like covid time when they really struggled with keeping the gym open they still found a way the community came in came in with them and, I, and they, they like they came to my wedding i'm still very much in touch with them still in contact with them all the time and whenever i go back they look after me you know in the gym and i get to train there and stuff like that so i think those three people sheila simon mick and tricks together it probably defined me as where i am right now and it's, it's such a very weird not weird but a very different way of getting into teaching and actually mick and tricks both of them uh, when I got to that instructor level, it was very much they had to teach me how to teach classes. And then when they yeah. came and watched me, they gave me observational feedback. Mm. So, you, you know, as a teacher, that that's basically your training. And I did all that before my PGC. Um, and I was teaching lessons and, they, and they'd come and watch and they just give me feedback to help me out and what I need to do. And they also allowed me to give me freedom to teach in a certain way. So I think that confidence going into PGC, if you look at all three of them, again, I think, volunteers or i make a tricks on a gym but volunteers but the way they had an influence on my life has been uh it's been phenomenal and i just kind of wanted to put that out there you know for them i think that's great what they've done yeah that's cool i think as well like i think it's it's such a such a big impact on your life and it's always nice to kind of shout them out i wanted to then i wanted to ask you one last question before we kind of start bringing this uh podcast to a close and I know that we could go on and on and on about influential people because even just as you're talking, Madge, I'm thinking about people that have like had impact and quite quite influential impact in different parts of my life. Um, but I wanted to ask you, Glenn, as as a, a you know a manager or leader within your job, as um, you know a really good friendship, um, uh, as a um as a potential as not potential as a upcoming father do you feel pressure or or anything related are you conscious of being influential to other people um yeah i mean you know i think every day right my my purpose is like i try to wake up every day and be the best person i can um so you know i guess that there will be some additional focus when you become a dad. And I think Madge touched on this earlier, you know, trying to, you know, make sure you're present in your, in your kid's life. Certainly if you, if you had a bit of a void growing up, that that's, I'm very conscious of that. Um, so, yeah, I think there is a little bit of pressure on becoming a dad. Uh, certainly I think, cause you just want the best for your kids. Right. And I think one thing that's definitely rang home a little bit more is, I think all parents, I mean, I always say this to kind of like, you know, I know you touched on my leadership role at work. I always tell people that people are very similar around the world. There's this, you know, we, in organisations, we have like cultural training. Um, and, you know, I've worked in most regions around the world and been to a lot of countries. And I get to meet a culture where they don't want the best for their kids. They don't want, uh, you know, to earn a good living or they don't want the family to be healthy. I think we're actually more similar 
than people make out. So I think there is additional tension on my shoulders, but you can only try your best, Joe. <laughs> and that and that's certainly what I'll do. And I hope hopefully I, I I would have learned. I think you know you're you're the influence that when you you know your dad. I think the, the largest influence that you'll ever have as becoming a parent are from your own parents. So you try and take the good and the bad, uh, you know, and I know we focus more on the positive, but, you know, just being more present, asking them how their day was. I mean, little things that I didn't get from my dad as a father figure. I mean, I got it from my mum, but I think Madge has touched on this. There's, as a boy growing up, certainly when you get into your teenage years, you, you, it's good to have a father figure that can teach you how to shave and those sorts of things. And I, Really have that but i'm having a little girl so i won't be doing that but you know i think uh, that's that's the point i think uh yeah just being present in the moment for so, me um glenn i want to ask you a question uh, and i'm going to share my point first because I, i've got a feeling it's going to be similar um you mm. talked about like your father figure and maybe the negative influence that i don't want to kind of go too much down negative because we're mm. conscious of time but for me and I, and I don't want to say this in a bad way. Like I mentioned, my dad was there and he was involved, but there's a lot of things that I don't think he did to the best of his ability. And that's kind of, that's what annoys mm. me um, about him as a person. He gave up on a lot of things and kind of used excuses. And that has been an influence on me, but I've switched it. So um, like the way I want to be a father, uh, the way I'm so driven, and uh, the way I, how hard I worked, like one of the things I hate being late because of him, because he was always late to everything. It's like little things that habits and behaviors that I didn't like about him. And it's kind of shaped me in a, in, shaped me in, in a, in a positive way. And it's driven mm. me to be the person I am because I've kind of looked and listened and observed to see what he did. And I kind of like, made sure that I want I want to like be more present in my life uh, my, my kids lives and be more supportive to my wife and little things like that I wonder I'm wondering if you have um a very similar experience or a point with that yeah I guess so right I guess so. I was I was actually my dad mine and my dad's relationship has actually since I think um I mean, he wasn't the best dad. And, you know, sometimes I look back and think, you know, was it because there was divorce? He didn't spend as much time with me. Was he just, he didn't have a dad. So he didn't have a father figure. So was that part and parcel of that impact that the knock-on effects? Um, and me and my dad, you know, had a reasonably healthy relationship up until the age of, uh, I'm going to say, 33, 34. And now we have zero relationship, which which will be a completely another podcast, <laughs> I'm sure, that... Uh, but I think, um, I think, you know, the good, my dad, my dad was a hard worker. My dad was, you know, like, you know, he was on time. He was fairly polite. He, you know, uh, he had a fairly decent sense of humor. There was many good things about my dad. On the flip side, he lacked emotional intelligence. He didn't really know how to be a dad. He really didn't know how to offer guidance on life. He was a blue collar worker. So he never really got a formal education. So there were certain lessons that I don't think were, you know, Madge, whether it was he was lazy and didn't want to teach me those lessons or whether he never got given those those less life lessons. It's difficult for me to reconcile because sometimes I look back and I go, yeah, he could have been better at doing some of that stuff because some of it's just love. Asking someone how they are and taking an interest 
do you really need to get a life lesson, a life lesson in, in that? Perhaps you do. And maybe I learned that somewhere else. But so I look back and I think, yeah. And then I look back and think my dad was also quite selfish. He never really got over the divorce, I don't think, to a large degree. And there were aspects that kind of griped on him for some time, uh, which I think impacted me and my brother. So it's a shame. I, you know, I don't lose any sleep over it now. I've reconciled that one back. Uh, but I definitely want to make sure that I'm more present. And I think my emotional intelligence is there with my children more than my dad. You know, I, I, I want the, the work ethic my dad have. He, ne he never took a day off sick and went to work for like, you know, every day that I've known him. So there's certain things that I think, yeah, phenomenal. And then there's bits where I go, mm, probably not. That I makes think, sense. I think the point, yeah, I mean, it's spot on, Glenn. I think the point that you make about your dad not having a father figure I think what could be obvious in it, and you know, I can't, I can't speak on this for sure, and, and maybe you wouldn't even know, but he obviously then, by not having that positive influence of his dad, he might not have then had another influential father figure or somebody that can also teach him some of those what what we might call like soft skills in terms of just taking an interest in your children, um, and like. You know, it's like what you've done is you have developed those skills and developed them really well. So you've kind of broken broken that mold or broken that kind of line of like, you know, not great or, you know, without, I don't want to speak, like bash your father or anything like that. But from your point of view, it's like not be the best dad. You've already broken that by already becoming a really good person in terms of a good person to your friends and then you will continue to do that with, with your new daughter. So it is just about the impact of people around you, isn't it? So, um, Madge, have you got something to say on that as well? Yeah, I just kind of want to just say something to Glenn was that I think uh, I struggled with that quite a bit with my dad. I was quite angry with him for a long time, uh, probably mm -hmm. like from the age of 18 for about a good 10 years. And I think a kind of similar to the way you're, you what you were saying, felt felt uh, I felt resemblance there in the sense that uh, I've accepted it now. Um, not all parents. I, I don't think you can ever like uh, train to be a parent. I don't think there is such a thing. But you're, you're right. Like um, his parents or my grandparents were probably uh, the same to him. And a lot of the times, um, what do you call it? They they just kind of parent the way they've been parented. And I think that's probably the difference now. What you mentioned, emotional intelligence, and also the fact. Uh, we've been educated and we, we can learn and reflect and all these soft skills that you learn that they never, never, never had. But there is a side to me where I just feel felt like he, he, he gave up and that, that's that's kind of, but I've accepted it now. And, and, and to be honest, our relationship is a lot better now. So it's like opposite to you than it was before. And the only reason why that is, is because of my mindset, changed my mindset of like being angry with him in the first place. To now just accepting yeah. what it was and and i just take the lessons from that and it makes me a better person and a better father hopefully um one thing i wanted to kind of finish on was that just this like this episode as, as you can probably hear means a lot to me and i'm sure to joe and glenn was that um it's, it's meant to kind of make you reflect on your own influential people and one thing i would say is that you know go and say thank you to those people go and tell them that you you've been uh, you've been influenced by them because I think um, Joe did ask a question if we're conscious of being influenced, influences to other people. And I hope that within our role, we, we can be. I don't think I consciously, I mean, we do consciously do it, like Joe said. 
um, with the way we the, that hidden curriculum with the way we act, the way we say things, the way we comfort people, all of these things. But I think if someone has been influential to you, I think, and if you've got the opportunity and they're still around, remember they're not going to be around all the time. Say it while you can, and uh, and I think that's something that we should all try to implement. And you'll make that day. You'll make you mm. might even make you might even make the life just by by saying something like that. You know. So yeah, definitely advise you to do that. Glenn, to finish, uh, we've been we've been adding uh, some quick fire questions at the end. So you ready for three quick fire questions? Yeah, ready. But yeah, sure. <laughs> Ready. Okay. So, um, what is one book, podcast, movie, or series that you would recommend to somebody, and why? It's a recommendation. Don't look at your bookshelf. No, that's a really hard question for me because you know that I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of books, but I think for me at the moment, who am I listening to? And I mean, okay, top book. I'd say Sapiens. I really like that book a lot. I think that's well worth a read. Um, I think podcast. Uh, one Naval, podcast, one book. Uh, one book. So Sapiens, one book, one podcast. I think there's a podcast by a guy called Naval Vic Karami. I think he's pronounced. And uh, it's just very good. He's a He's a tech finance wizard, uh, someone who does a lot of podcasts, a lot of thinking, a lot of reading, and he's just very good. A lot of meaning in life. It's, it's a very good good listen. What was the other question? No, that's it. I haven't asked that uh, one uh, yet. All right. Okay. Well, then let those Matt two. Matt is going to ask the next I've, one. I've seen how, how much you struggle with that question. I'm a bit worried about this one. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's the most important character trait you feel that everyone should develop? Critical thinking. Why? Uh, I think because today we live in a world where everything is sound bites, uh, social media, and to your point, not many people are reading. People are listening to 20 minute slots. They're looking at comments. They're looking at stuff. And actually, you need to be able to break down information, turn it into intelligence, and kind of think through it. It's very easy to say this or that on social media, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's right. So I think for me, just having some critical thinking skills is very, very useful in today's world. I love that comment about uh, like life is made up of sound bites. That's that's a quality. Uh, well, well, it is about today it. Yeah. more so more so than ever. I feel. I mean, this is just yeah. me. I feel like you know, look, most people are taking their inputs and their stats from Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, is it Twitter, Twitter, <laughs> and actually, you need to go away and yeah. look at that in detail and break that down before you start saying, "Well, that is it." Uh, yeah. It's important to think things through. Yeah, the the kind of paraphrasing nature of of uh, interviews, well, com- complex problems in one lines, right? Yeah, it's like it's yeah, like yeah. we're going to do this in one line, and it's like trying to solve the world's top ten problems. Yeah, it's just like, like mm, I'm not sure. Yeah, and an hour's interview can be put down to one sentence and completely change the narrative of of how that person came across. Okay, final question: um, What's your best tip to develop productivity? Productivity. Plan your day. You know, I mean, a great book, right? I think it's called Eat That Frog. Eat That Frog, right? So just wake up or the night before, write down the top 10 things that you want to achieve the following day. 
do the hardest one first, have a routine. You know, I'm just going to quote some books, right? So Eat That Frog, Atomic Habits. I mean, you know, these are the sorts of books, uh, highly effective uh, people by, I forget the name, it's on my shelf, but yeah, highly effective uh, people. I think there's seven habits that they follow. So all these Mm -hmm. books have all of these tips. You don't need to read them all in detail. I think, you know, most of them you can kind of skim read. But for me, it's have a routine. Uh, and he's, yeah, he's, just he's saying on one hand sound bites and then he's telling do sound bites out of books you know <laughs> well I think it's important because I think when you're reading self-help books you don't need to read all of them in detail yeah, because yeah, a lot yeah. of them regurgitate some of the same stuff so I think yeah. it's you can take away some of the sound bites and put them into practice not, not many people do so it's like when you look, read some of you know whenever you've read a book or a self-help book how many times do you actually go away and put that into practice? And I think that's where Atomic Habits, he talks about that a lot. Um, you know, before something becomes a habit, you need to do it for three or four months. Yeah. yeah. I've got that book um, downloaded. Grace recommended that book as well. Yeah, it's a great, great, it's a great, it's a great read for sure, right? So uh, that yeah. would be my... And yeah, I think quality. with self, self-help books as well, I, I don't know if I've read this somewhere or someone said it, was that most of the time self-help books, people just go to the chapters that mean the most of them and it's kind of, read it in, in, in an unorthodox way rather than read it from start to end, you know? Yeah. 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 They, they do do that. Yeah. I, I'm a bit guilty of that sometimes, but I think when you've read like 10 or 20 or even 30, it's easier to kind of go, mm, that chapter sounds very similar to that chapter. Or I'll just skip to the next chapter. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Glenn, I just want to say thank you for coming on our podcast. This is probably going to be one of our longest ones, um, and it's definitely not down to to you or over talking. It's just the fact this this topic, like Mad said, is is quite important to a lot of us, and I think there's loads more that we could have spoken on. So maybe we can get you back for a influential people part two um, no another time when we can we can approach that. So thanks again for coming on, and hope you have a, a great rest of your evening. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for the invite. Speak Thanks, soon. Man. Thanks very much. Bye bye. All right, Joe. What did you What did you think of that episode? You know, I think um, my initial thought is that you know that there just isn't enough time, is there, to talk about influential people? Um, and I think one thing that we can take from this is that you know the the impact people have on your life is is so crucial positive and negative and what i liked about today is we didn't really dwell too much on that negative aspect because there's always going to be people that negatively influence your life but uh, you know and, and that's credit to us that we're we always try and put that positive spin on it but i think yeah people that influence your life positively you know we mentioned you know over 10 15 people today but I know that there would be easily 20 more each that we could continue to mention. Um, and, uh, we haven't and even, mentioned, we haven't even mentioned the celebrities or anyone like famous as well, right? I mean, well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, well. isn't it? You know, people influence you all over. And, the, you know, when I quoted earlier Glenn's voice note, 18-minute voice note, uh, it, it was the fact that he is influenced by people who are fathers influence people who are in education or banking or whatever. And it's just like, you know, 
you know, he even kind of said like, oh, well, you influence me. Well, I'm like, well, in what way? It's just that thing of like, everybody influences you and hopefully you surround yourself with people that influence you. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose that's the, that would be the take home or my advice to my kids or other people or, you know, surround yourself with positive people that are going to influence you in a positive way. Well, you kind of say, you know, you always surround yourself with better people, don't you? People that are going to make you better. Sorry. Yeah. So people who are going to make you better have to be inspirational somewhere, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I really uh, enjoyed it. I think, like I said to you, it was, it was going to be my favourite one. I think for me, it was just to get a lot off my chest and just to kind of, and like, I wish they would listen to the podcast, but it's, it'll be that it'll be there in the internet universe and maybe one day they'll listen to it. But like I said to you, like all five of them, people i've already said thank you to them and I've, I've kind of already said to them as well that you've influenced me in that way and stuff and i think it's important like i said mentioned before that people do that but even i would say I'd, I'd although i won't like live and die by the rule but i would love the fact that if i was influential to other people as well and i think uh, we were talking about whether you consciously do it i think the only time i am conscious i think the three situations is one, when I'm a teacher um, and like th the things that you can say, the, thing, the, the things that you can do, body language, anything can have an impact on someone. It could be just one small thing. So mm -hmm. just knowing how to pick someone up, just knowing when to put your arm around someone, you know, when to like challenge them, all of those little things. I think as a teacher, you have to be very much aware of it. I think the second situation is as a parent as well. Uh, I want to have a, have, a, have a positive influence on that. And I, I'm kind of learning that as I go. And I think the third one is probably to my wife, Pearl, um, knowing where she's come from and where she is now is trying to have, um, be that support rather than being that person that says no and be negative all the time is trying to be positive and provide the opportunities that she wants. So I'm hoping that I can be influential in those three roles really. Um, and the rest is up for grabs in it. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, I think you make some really good points there, Madge. And uh, yeah, I I'm definitely aware of I'm definitely aware of it, you know, about what what we are and and what we're doing. And I think I'm aware of like my position in. I was I, you know even like just when you were th talking there, I was like, just as you as an individual in society, you know, like you sit in, you know, on the MRT or whatever, and you kind of see somebody or you speak to somebody or you just just your actions can influence other people like you picking up rubbish or you putting something in the bin i even thought that today when i i kind of walked past the elevator and somebody had obviously just dropped a napkin from when they were going to lunch and i just picked it up and there were people that saw me do it and subconsciously or or whether it's like whether they look at it and go oh he's just picked that tissue up or whether they will just think oh what I might pick another tissue up if I ever see it. And that's influence all the time. And I think we do need to be aware of the fact that everybody's always watching in a non-creepy way, but everyone's always watching what we're doing. And, uh, and it doesn't matter what role we're in. I think we should be aware of trying to be good human beings. Yeah. And what, what's happened to me over this episode is that we started with that definition and I was talking about conscious, uh, conscious actions and being... Uh, aware of being influential and I thought at the start I said well if you're doing that you're not really being yourself and the people the influential people I've uh, the influential examples that I've given 
were people who co- did not do it consciously. But over the episode, I kind of then realized as a star I was like, no, I don't consciously do that. But over the episode, I realized I actually do do that now. And um, yeah, I go back on that definition a little bit. But and I and I also bet that like Sheila, she did consciously go out there and look for funding, and she didn't just do it because she was bored. She did it because she saw a reason for her doing it, and she probably thought. I'm going to really enjoy seeing those lads out there enjoying themselves. And she's probably thought, Oh, I bet it will, I bet it will help them, you know, and it, and it doesn't, you know, to be conscious of it, isn't like a negative thing. Mm, And she's still doing it without any type of like thanks or praise. But at the end of the day also, even if she was just hoping that like, Oh, I hope, you know, Majid comes and say thanks to me. And that just brightens up her day. And I'm fine with that. Like, you know, so it's like we are definitely conscious of it and we do things to have an impact and have a positive impact. And, I, you know, I think we need to just continue to do that. Nice one, Joe. Right, let's finish there, mate. Thanks uh, Thanks for another episode. See you on the next one. See you soon. See you later. Bye. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, go ahead and subscribe. Share it with someone if you think they might enjoy it or if they might learn something new. If you have any comments or would like to join us on an episode, email us at youchattoomuch at gmail.com.